Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor Tyson Harold, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. good to be together today and this is a special day for us as we are about to ordain slash appoint Wes Johnson as our staff pastor overseeing worship and so would like to ask our elders and all those who are involved to come on up and uh, Wes if you could stay here and Janae could we have you come up as well (laughs) we uh, Wes has gone through our elder training process over the past couple years. In May, he went through our ordination council, a, uh, a time, a doctrinal review, as well as a, a time to look at his character, his uh, commitment to ministry, and those types of things. And then this summer, he was ordained as an elder. Now, just to be clear, and I'm sure I'll say this, and it'll be as clear as mud, but feel free to ask if, if you have questions, but an elder is interchangeable. The word elder is interchangeable with pastor, overseer, bishop in the New Testament. As a church family, we have a team of elders who are very much pastors. They, they do pastoring. But thanks to your generosity, the desire that God puts on a few of our elders' hearts, as well as gifting that we recognize as a church family, there are some elders who we appoint or ordain to be staff pastors who serve full-time the church. So they give where you give your 50 plus hours a week to whatever work God has called you to. These staff pastors give their 50 plus hours a week to serving you, the body of Christ. And so today what we're recognizing is Wes being committed and us as a church family really affirming God's equipping Wes, calling Wes and um, Janae to, or it's Wes's position. Now I want to Janae is, uh, she is the better, better half. <laughs> but as we all know, God makes us one. And, and Wes, this is very much a ministry team. And you see Wes on Sundays, but Janae is part of our, our team, a part of our church family, and such a blessing and, and so thankful for, for both of them. So you may be thinking, okay, what's changing? It, he's, well, you probably didn't know that he's been serving under the title of worship director. And around five years ago, when, when he transitioned onto our staff full-time, he came on as worship director. So he's moving out of worship director into the title of, of staff pastor. You say, well, what does that mean? What, what will change? Not much, really. Um, he will pretty much be doing the same thing he's been doing. We're recognizing him growing into that role. But there is something special about taking on the role of pastor and it's us affirming what we see in him but it's also him receiving the responsibility to love care feed lead and really lay down his life for you when when a staff pastor steps into that role it's not a job it's a calling and it's a privilege and it's an honor where we consider ourselves willing to lay down our life for this body of Christ, and we, um, we are here to serve you. And so today what we want to do is surround Wes and Janae with affirmation and encouragement, and so throughout the day, if you could just 
um, share your encouragement to them, but we also want to cover them with prayer this morning and a word of, of challenge from Scripture and, and give them a couple gifts. So we, uh, if I could, before uh, handing this off to Don, share what I believe Wes and Janae being with us are an answer to prayer that was prayed over 50 years ago. A widow, when our church started way back, a widow was burdened to pray that God would provide musicians for our worship ministry. Evidently, she heard we needed help, and she started praying. And I believe the answer to her prayer, and she couldn't even attend our church, was when the Johnson family came to our town, and God blessed us. And the time came around five years ago that Don Johnson's, uh, Wes's dad, sensed the Lord um, moving this role into a, a vocational role, and we started praying again. And the prayer was very specific, that it would, asking someone who had a, a deep love for the Lord, like David, of, of the Old Testament, but also someone who was a warrior in the kingdom, a man's man, someone who was humble, loving, someone who would have uh, had the capacity to lead others and lead us all in worship. And Wes and Janae are a direct answer to that prayer. And so this is a time of worship, just to praise God for what he's given and provided for us. So with that, we'll turn it over to Wes's dad for a word of encouragement. Thank you. Thank you for giving me this role. He said, can you give a charge to Wes? And I, oh, wow, how much? <laughs> <laughs> But the, uh, there are three letters in the New Testament, First and Second Timothy, Titus, where the, the old guy writes to the young guy who he's mentored and in, encouraged. And there's any number of things you could pull out of these, these books. You could just read the whole thing and find things that are pertinent to a pastor or someone in ministry. But I'm just looking at chapter, chapter 4 and, and there's some famous verses and some things maybe you have or haven't thought of. But in First uh, uh, Timothy 4, 7, and 8, he says to train yourself, uh, have, don't have anything to do with, with worthless things. The, the whole books are all about the gospel, the beauty of the gospel. Focus on that. He said put these other things out of your mind and train yourself uh, for godliness. Because bodily training has some value, but, but training for godliness has much more value. You may not know Weston's training for a uh, marathon. He's going to run a marathon next week. So he's following the schedule and all the, the discipline that goes into that. And uh, uh, Paul says, that's good, but this is better. So it, I think to, to be a pastor, to, to, uh, the thing to really train yourself in is godliness. And it's all, the, it's all of the disciplines that Pastor John talks about all the time that we should all be doing, that daily time in the Word and allowing the Spirit to work through us. Uh, and then in verse 12, he says, uh, don't, don't let anyone despise you for your youth or look down on you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. And, you know, pick this out whenever we talk to young people in leadership or, or ministry, but notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, don't look down, don't let them look down on youth because you're the, you're the pastor. Or don't let them look down on your youth because we... We appointed you, we ordained you, or we mentored you, or you are who you are. He says, don't let them look down on your youth, but be an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, purity. Again, more disciplines, things that don't just happen, but those are the things that establish the authority of a pastor, not any kind of title or recognition. Those are the things. You know, we, we're, we're all 
appointing and choosing you, and that's good. People that don't know you will respect you immediately for that, but that doesn't last very long. But these are the things that will that uh, cause us to respect and honor uh, and uh, honor the authority of our pastors. And we all know leaders that we don't respect anymore because of their speech, because of the way they live their lives, because they don't love, they don't put the needs of others ahead of themselves in, in their church, in their family, because they don't demonstrate uh, solid faith in God and purity. Uh, you know, you're, you're going to have every temptation the rest of us have and more, uh, and then add to that the uh, temptation toward pride. But those are the things that are, that are going uh, to do it for you. And then 14 and 15, it says, uh, to, uh, don't neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all can see your progress. So that this isn't anything where you know, someone's arrived. You know, none of us have arrived. And we don't know what Timothy's gifts were, but it's mentioned a couple times and people knew what they were. There was even a prophecy involved and people uh, recognized and appointed Timothy. You, know, you are gifted in leading people to the throne of God through worship and music. It's not, it's not the filler for the service. It's not uh, the pre-show. I mean, that, this is an important part of worship. If you look in the Old Testament, there, there were whole families of people that were selected for their gifts and abilities and, and training and, and uh, were in place just to lead people in music. Why is that? Because we're, we're hardwired to understand truth this way. Uh, there's no culture where that's an exception. And in many cultures, people didn't read. So every time something important happens in the Old Testament, somebody wrote a song about it. You know, this, this happened to Miriam. Miriam, then Miriam wrote this song. You know, David wrote this song. Because people would rehearse those and repeat them, and it connects in the right place in our brain for, for truth to come alive in a different way than it does through preaching. And, that, and that's, that's an amazing, uh, beautiful responsibility and also a gift that you have that goes way beyond what was it two years of guitar lessons we paid for the, the rest was uh, <laughs> I mean the rest was all uh, developing a gift and just using what God God gave you what, what can we do with our gifts well we can get lax about them we can just uh, uh, you know we can just get stagnant in them we can become prideful about them I mean I think anyone that's on the platform has the opportunity for pride and to make it a performance. Those are all, all pitfalls, uh, and you know we're grateful we don't don't see that in you. But you know you're young, and it could happen. I mean, it takes it takes it's going to take uh, just personal commitment to God. But uh, in Second Timothy four, he says, "Be be basically says be serious, uh, uh, do the work of ministry, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry." I, I like that word, fulfill. Just like fill it up. You know, get, make, make it more. Uh, use that gift and everything about it, and then all the other things that you're, you know, that you're going to do. Uh, we, we believe you can do it. You know, we wouldn't have, have put you up there. Certainly, I believe you can do it. And we're going to be behind you uh, every step of the way. Uh, no, no one more than your mom and I, but we probably will never call you Pastor Wes. <laughs> so... Thank you. 
This week it was neat, just randomly when we were headed out to lunch on Tuesday, Wes was describing how he doesn't remember a night that his dad didn't uh, pray with him before bed and would often fall asleep there with him as Wes was praying. <laughs> and Don would often sing to the kids as well. But uh, on the prayers of God's people. And so that's right now we want to pray. And, and our, the chairman of our elder team, Doug, will lead us. Western today, if we could have you guys come up and if you are comfortable to take a knee and then the elder team gather around. Let's pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, how great, how great and awesome you are, Lord, to answer the prayers over 50 years ago, Lord, to, to work through this church, through this body, Lord, to bring this man and woman before us today, Lord. All the work that you have done through so many different people, through your spirit, you filled this man with your word and, his, and your, his love for you and a love for others. Lord, we pray that you guide, guide him daily. Give him your provision, Lord, and just what he needs for that day. Lord, we pray that you continue to purify his heart. Make him more and more like you. Give him the strength and the courage to step into this, this calling that you have placed before him. Help him to see people as you do, gracious, merciful, loving, and Lord, that they would see you through his words, through his deeds, through his grace and mercy. Lord, we pray that he would feel the love that this church has for him and that this church would feel your love for, for them through West, Lord. Lord, we look forward to what you will do with this man and through this man. Lord, and it is only through the precious blood of your son that we can stand before you today and pray to you. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. It's been my wife and I's privilege to walk us alongside Wes and Janae for the better part of half of their lives. And uh, I have plenty of stories I could share. We don't have time today, and I will spare them, although I had a couple good ones picked. But we do want to share a few gifts with them, uh, and just from the church as a whole. And Seth is uh, Wes's best friend. He's going to be bringing those up to them, but uh, they all represent something. And so we just wanted to give them some gifts to say thank you and also to recognize their, their calling. First is uh, an ordination certificate, which is, sorry, Seth. First is an ordination certificate, and this is just all the men who were at his examination council. So we, we asked him to compile his own doctrinal statement and to share with what he believes, and he had to defend that, and it was a long 
an arduous task, but he did that, and so that's, that's that part there. We wanted to also give him and Janae a night at West Baden Springs Hotel in French Lick, and so get away for a, a little bit of time there. We also have a shofar, and at first I thought, well, this is kind of crazy. Um, but then I, I was reminded of what the importance of it was throughout the Old Testament was to call people to worship in the temple or also at times of war. But it was really interesting as I studied more about the shofar and the official shofar guide that we also have for you. <laughs> <coughs> and if, if anyone can figure out how to play it, it'll be this guy. But um, the interesting thing is, is that the people of Israel, before they would elect someone to, to play the shofar, it had to be, it couldn't be just anybody. It had to be somebody they respected. And Wes and Janae, we both want you to know we respect you and love you at a level that you probably don't understand. But I found that interesting that the people of Israel wouldn't just let anybody play it. It had to be somebody that they all respected. And so on behalf of the church, we respect you, we love you, we care for you. And then Wes is going to be most excited about this. This represents a supply of candy for the year. Now, this won't last till Thursday with Weston. Um, matter of fact, there's no candy in the church that is safe. He will find it and eat it. Uh, but we are going to give you a year's supply, which I don't know if you quite realize how much that's going to cost. Uh, but he will eat it all. And so just a few things that just let you know that we love you guys and appreciate both you and Janae. And if, from a personal standpoint, um, I appreciate most their servant heart. They will do anything for anyone at any time. And it doesn't matter if it has anything to do with music or not. You see him here on Sunday playing music and leading music, but he's, a, he's a, not a worship leader. He's a leader of worshipers, and he's out to make sure that you're following God in every area of your life. And so, Wes and Janae, I know that's your heart. We're thankful for Tannen as well and excited for what God has for you here in the days to come. I'll take this. Yeah. What comes to my mind is that first part of Philippians John talked about last week where Paul says, in my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And uh, Janae and I are just so thankful that we get to run on this team and we get to do that with you. Well, usually about this time of year around Halloween, there's usually a list published of the top five fears that people have. They're the same every year, which I don't really understand why they keep publishing it, but they do, and this year is just the same as it always is. The most terrifying thing for people, number one, is public speaking. And so that's always the biggest fear, or one of the biggest fears. Number two would be heights. <laughs> I thought it'd be fun just to show people their fear. And I really don't have a message. It's just, yeah, it's going to be like this for the next 30 minutes. Um, Number three is creepy crawly things, bugs, insects, snakes. Number four is tight spaces. And usually rounding out the top five, somewhere in one through five, is death. And when you think about the things that we're afraid of, we typically do everything we can to avoid those. So if you don't like public speaking, you would not like my job, and you would pick something else. If you don't like heights, you would avoid tall buildings, planes, anything that would have you up higher. 
If you don't like creepy crawly things, you would find somebody else in your house to kill the bugs, insects, or snakes that might make their way in. If you don't like tight spaces, you'd stay certainly out of caves or any other dark tight space that you wouldn't want to be in. And if you're afraid of death, then you wear your seatbelt, you'll take some medicine, you'll exercise regularly, you'll eat properly, and you do everything you can to avoid that. Now, for the Christian, we should have a little bit different outlook because we, we should have a different outlook on, on death. And the Apostle Paul had a, a, a really interesting outlook on death, and we're going to talk about that today in Philippians chapter 1, the second part of, of chapter 1. If you want to flip over there and we'll jump right in. Paul came to the point in his life where he was okay with death. Matter of fact, he, he not only said that it was okay, he said it's better. And at first glance, you read that and you may say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, why is that better? And why is that okay? And for the Christian, it, it is better, and we're going to talk about that today because usually we avoid things we don't like talking about or things that are difficult. And the Apostle Paul just jumps right in. And, and today I want to help you see that you can find joy and contentment in circumstances no matter what they might be because that's what the Apostle Paul did. And, and today as we talk through death a little bit, I just want to recognize that for many of you, this is something that will bring up probably some memories that you'd rather not think about. And I, I recognize that and tell you that I, I myself have experienced death and grief more in the past five months than I have in probably my entire adult life. I've done nine funerals since June. We don't do nine funerals in a year, usually, between John and I together. And so if that's something that you're struggling with today, just want to let you know that, that we see that. And, and one great resource for you is a book by H. Norman Wright called Experiencing Grief. And if you ever would want that, we will give it to you. It's a great resource on how to deal with death and grief. But for the Apostle Paul, he had an outlook that I think will help all of us out, especially for those of you who are Christians today in regards to death. If you weren't with us last week, Pastor John gave an incredible recap of the Bible and the uh, book of Philippians, and if you don't listen to anything else from that message, go listen to the first 10 minutes of last week's message so you can have an idea where we're at. The Apostle Paul's in prison in Philippians chapter 1, and that's where we're going to spend our time today, Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. If you want to flip over there, we'll start reading. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you. That's our gift to you. Paul is in prison in, in Rome at this time, and he's he certainly spent time in the prison that you would typically think of in the first century where it would be rats and, and really dungeony experience. But at this point in his life, he's in a Roman prison, and it's different than the normal Roman prison because they actually let him stay in his own room. But the bad part was he was constantly shackled to a Roman soldier. For every single waking hour of his life, for two years, he spent his time shackled to a Roman so soldier. And he writes the letter to the church at Philippi, and we find him here in prison, and there's some things that people are concerned about. The people of Philippi love Paul. They have a great relationship with Paul, and they're really concerned about him. So he writes the letter to them to encourage them around three specific areas that they are concerned about. One of those being that he's in prison, and that might somehow squander what God is doing. Number two, that there's people talking about the gospel, but they're doing it out of selfish ambition and, and vain conceit. And number three is, is that they're concerned that he's going to die. And what that might mean for both them and for him. And so he addresses these three concerns in a fairly autobiographical nature. But there's still some things that we can draw out of the text today that apply to us as well. And so in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Paul writing, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. 
And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart to be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so Paul writes this letter to the people in Philippi to encourage them and to help them see that, it's, that not all is lost. As he's in prison, the Romans put him in prison with the express idea that by putting him in prison, it would slow down the spread of the gospel. Paul had started riots in Ephesus simply by mentioning the name of Jesus. And so the Romans think, well, if we put him in a prison cell by himself in his own little apartment away from everybody else with just one Roman guard, then somehow it will squelch and squander what God is doing. So that was their plan, and it failed miserably. If you know anything about church history, this did not go so well because Paul continued to share the gospel and he was put in jail for a very specific purpose. And in verse 12, it says that I want you to know that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. So the church in Philippi is huddled together, somewhat concerned about Paul and that it's not working like what they thought it would be. And Paul says, no, by me being in jail, it's actually advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. A cursory reading of history would tell you that any time that the gospel starts to face persecution or people of the gospel start to face persecution, what happens? It flourishes, right? It just, it explodes like wildfire. You're seeing this today in places like China where it's estimated that there's over 100 million Christians now. Places like North Korea and Iran and even Muslim parts of Africa, Christianity is just flat out exploding under persecution, you would think that people who are out to stop Christ would figure this out because if you look throughout human history, every time that there starts to be some sort of persecution, the gospel just is uncontrollable. And so Paul is put in prison away from his usual influence to the church. And in 13 and 14, it says a really cool thing happens. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So everyone in the palace understands that Paul's there for, for Christ. He's telling them every day, remember, if you're shackled to somebody for 27, you've got to come up with something to talk about. He's telling every guard, some of these guards are most likely coming to Christ. We know that's the case. And then on top of that, the people in Rome who are also coming because people could come and go freely to meet with Paul, they're starting to become more bold. They're sitting there saying, hey, if Paul's in prison and, and he's okay and, and, and God's still working, then we can share our faith. 
And it actually emboldens the Christians at Rome, and they start sharing their faith more. And so what the Romans decided was the best idea to squelch and squander the gospel, God does what he always does. He uses the foolish things to confound the wise, and he goes on and continues to spread the gospel among the people there. Paul writes to the Philippians telling them this, like, look, you have nothing to worry about. And in verse 15, he addresses the next problem that happens. He says, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. Now, for these people who were preaching the gospel, apparently the church in Philippi was really concerned about these people because they had told Paul somehow. We know that Timothy and Epaphroditus met with Paul. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks in the latter part of chapter 3 of Philippians. But they had a great concern about this. And Paul writes back to him and he says, look, we're not talking heresy here. We're talking about people that were just preaching the gospel because they wanted to gain something out of it. You see this all the time. They're usually on TV, right? And they're trying to preach Christ for personal financial gain or for something that they're going to get out of. And Paul tells the church in Philippi, look, there's people who preach Christ out of, out of goodwill and because they love Jesus Christ. There's also people that preach Christ out of selfish ambition. And if we're honest today, at some point in your life, if you follow Jesus, there's probably been a time that you followed him out of selfish ambition. But these people were talking about Christ still, and for whatever reason, Paul finds joy and contentment. It says later in verse 18 that he rejoices. And, and the thing that is interesting about this is, is that you need to understand I love the way Charles Riley puts this, that the gospel has its objectivity and validity apart from the people who proclaim it. The message is more than the medium. Thankfully, God uses willing people to share the gospel. But the goodness and love and sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which is the essence of the gospel, is not deterred because I am not a, a great follower of Jesus or you are not a great follower of Jesus. Another way to think of this is the message of the gospel is true even when our motives are not, right? This is the whole point of the gospel in the first place. Why we need the gospel is because sometimes our motives are not true. Sometimes we don't always do the right thing, which is why we need the gospel in the first place. And Paul gets to the point in verse 18 where he tells the people of Philippi, he says, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached and because of this, I rejoice. There's a modern-day example of this that happened on Friday. If you're a musician aficionado, you saw that Kanye West debuted an album called Jesus is King. Now, there's people that are like, he's an idiot. Why would we listen to him? And there's people that, but if you read the lyrics, it looks like he's a genuine convert of Jesus Christ. And you see where people on one side would say, well, we shouldn't do that, but we don't know yet. Time will tell what really happened to Kanye. But isn't it interesting that the most searched item on Friday throughout every search engine, the most downloaded album on every single platform was an album by a rapper who for years has been bent on destroying the name of Christ and living up with the culture, and suddenly God says, you know what we're going to do? Watch this. And suddenly the most downloaded, looked upon thing is Jesus is king. And you read through the lyrics of some of what has apparently happened in Kanye's life. And I think Paul would say, what does it matter? Jesus Christ is king and he is the one. Now, I, I'm not sure that, that Kanye has everything figured out yet. He's growing like all of us, right? So we're going to be patient. But there's a, a line in one of his songs. And I know most of you would not be listening to his music and that's okay. 
But at the end of it, he says, you're, you're wondering if this is true, and how could it be? But would you please pray for me? And so at some point, at some level, this out, and Paul tells the people in Philippi, we don't know why these people are preaching, but they're preaching Christ, and we're going to celebrate that, and we're going to be grateful for that. And so he comes out and says, what does it matter? The important thing is, in every way, from false motives are true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I will rejoice. What you need to know is that Paul found joy in this, and it wasn't a silver lining type thinking or a glass half full. He found great confidence in that God was doing what only God can do. And God will use selfish, sinful people in spite of themselves. And God will accomplish what he wants to accomplish. You see, joy and contentment are possible even when things don't quite work out the way we thought they would. Joy and contentment are possible. When we define joy, that's not happiness, by the way. That's a deep sense of security and understanding that what God is doing is, is working its way out. And so we can find joy and contentment are possible even when things don't turn out how we'd like. The, the Philippian church, think about this. Paul is telling them to find joy and contentment in the fact that he's in prison and the gospel is continuing to go forward. Paul finds joy and contentment in the fact that, that people are still preaching the gospel even while he's in chains. And then he's also going to find joy and contentment in recognizing that, that death is, is, is coming for us all. Go on to see in the second part of 18, it says, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul came to the place in his life where he was able to find joy and contentment in almost any situation, even to the point of death. Because if you look at what happens here, Paul says, look, I, I, I continue to rejoice. He found joy in their prayers and that the Spirit was ministering in his life. And in verse 19, it says, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Scholars go back and forth about what he meant by deliverance in this way and that it could be salvation from, from prison and that he could be just killed and moved on into heaven. Some say, well, no, it could be that he was just released from heaven and that's deliverance. Some say, well, no, it, it could be that, that everything that's happening in Paul's life here, and I would argue in your life, is not outside the purveying and controlling of, of God himself that God will deliver you and deliver him in a way that not only brings him glory, but is what's best for us. You see, Paul made the decision that no matter what happens, he was going to please Christ, because to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul saw his wealth, his possessions, his pedigree, his success, his own life as transitory. And everything else was just going to go away. But the one thing that he had was Jesus Christ. It's interesting. There's been some, some documents revealed recently of a, two projects that the Israeli Mossad was a part of and the United States CIA was a part of in the early 80s called Operation Moses and Operation Joshua. And basically what happened is there was Ethiopian Jews that were being ethnically cleansed, and so they made their way across the Sudan, and, and Israel was using their influence to try and get them to Israel. 
And as they interviewed these Mossad agents and what they'd been doing, they talked to one Mossad agent that said, what struck me most was we treated the whole thing as a mission, and they treated it as their life. And they said, well, explain more what you mean by that. He said, well, we told them one day, don't worry, the mission's not over. We'll come back for you. And they said, this is not a mission for us. The mission, it is our life to get everyone who is facing persecution out of Ethiopia and into Israel one day soon because it was all that they do. When Paul comes to say that Christ is his life and to die is gain, he's saying that everything in his life is about Jesus Christ. He lived for Christ. He served for Christ. He loved Christ. He worshiped Christ. And everything that he did, that was his life. It wasn't a mission for him. It wasn't a, a add more Jesus in when we have time. It was everything in his life. And to die is gain. Now, you may be sitting here today saying, like I have before, I, I'm not sure. I kind of like what I got going on right here, right now. Is, is to die better? And if you notice in your bullets, and I included a, a numerous references to heaven that you could do on your own to study, because I think part of the problem is we don't know how good it's going to be. And so if you have time this week, read through those passages and see how good God is that he would allow us to live forever and to be in communion with him. And there are some incredible benefits of being with heaven. But I remember in my 20s, and Pastor John and I were talking about this week, in my 20s and 30s, I'd hear older people say, I can't wait to get to heaven. And I, I kind of felt guilty about that because I was like, okay, maybe all your friends are gone and that's why you want to get there. Or, But can I tell you the really cool part about Paul and, and also for you if you're not there yet is that God in his loving, patient kindness will get you there. I think part of the sanctification process is, is, is a deeper sense of loving and longing for, for Jesus Christ. And for many of you who have lost people and you've experienced death, you, you absolutely want to see those people again. And, and you hear Paul say to live as Christ and to die as gain. And in a couple of verses, you're going to hear him say that to be with Christ would be better. And especially if you're in your 20s or in your 30s, you're probably sitting there going, I, I think so, but I, I'm not real sure. I'd encourage you to read those passages in the bulletin this week because it will indeed be better. And if you're not there yet, can I just tell you, this is, you, you have a safe place to be patient because I hope that you'll get there more today when you read those passages and that God will do something in your heart to be a greater longing, not only for heaven, but to be with him forever and to be apart from the effects of sin. Here's the thing. I think that we can both lament the, the, the horrendous part of death and grief and hate that and at the same time long to be with Jesus Christ. They're not mutually exclusive. You can do both. And the Apostle Paul was to that place in his life, and I, I hope that you can get there too because joy and contentment are possible even when things don't turn out how we'd like. I, I think that Paul gives us a great way to think about the week ahead that we have. Matter of fact, I think you can face the week ahead with joy knowing a few things, right? Because Paul said it again and again. I rejoice because... Christ is being preached. I rejoice because God is doing what he's going to do. And I think that you can face your week ahead by the same pattern that Paul faced his week. And here it is. Number one, people are praying. If you look at verse 19, it said that Paul was encouraged and he rejoiced because people were praying. for. We would love to pray for you. If you have your Connect card, I know they've already been turned in, but you can go get another one. We will pray for you as a staff. Most of the people in this room, if you turn around as soon as I dismiss you here in a few moments and you say, I need, could you pray for me? They will do it, most of them. Matter of fact, I've never had anybody say, if I say, hey, you know, can I pray for you? I've never had anybody say no, right? Matter of fact, I even sent a thing to a friend of mine who's an atheist this week, and she was having a rough week, and I just said, hey, I'm praying for you, and she said, well, that's really sweet of you. 
So even atheists, they're, they're, they may not like it. They think it's hocus pocus, but you can pray for them, right? And Paul was encouraged, and he was able to rejoice because people were praying for him. If you need something to pray for you, there is great hope and great encouragement in the fact that people were praying for Paul. The people in Philippi were praying for Paul. There's people here that are praying for you, even if you don't even know it at times. And so if you, if you would this week, pick somebody to pray for. And then send them a text and let them know you're praying. I cannot tell you how encouraging it is when somebody says, hey, I was praying for you this week. It, it gives you life, right? It, it, it encourages you. It helps you out. And Paul said he could rejoice because people were praying. Um, number two, the second thing is the Spirit of Christ is with us. The Holy Spirit resides inside of us. If you're a Christian today, you have the Spirit of God inside of you. So not only are people praying, but the Spirit who empowers us, directs us, convicts us, um, does all of these different things. He's inside of us. And so you can face your week, even though you don't know what's coming, with joy because people are praying and the Holy Spirit resides inside of you and you've already got to one-up on whatever is going to come your way. Paul did the same thing, right? Verse 19, I know that through your prayers and the provision of God's Spirit through Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Sometimes our circumstances open our attentiveness to the Spirit. And for Paul, he was in a Roman jail cell for two years and had a lot of time to sit and think. And sometimes God uses circumstances to wake us up to what the Spirit's doing and how he wants to work in our lives. And lastly, to live as Christ and to die is gain. This is also a great time to talk about. Paul was not in some sort of like suicidal thinking at this point. And if, if you struggle with that, I would just encourage you to get help that you need for that. Um, it may be here, it may be with me, it may be somebody else, but Paul didn't have a, a death wish, so to speak. He just recognized what hopefully every single one of us recognized. Every single person here is not going to escape death. It is still 100% true that all of us will die, and unless Jesus Christ comes back for that, we will all die. Paul was a little bit more attuned to it, though, because he was in a Roman jail cell where easily he'd appealed to, the, to Caesar, and Caesar could at any time say yes or no. And so he maybe had a little bit more pressure on him as what you and I would, but he had came to the place to understand that death was coming for us all, or is coming for us all, and for me to live as Christ to die as gain. Verse 22 goes on to say, if I am to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me, yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart to be with Christ. And then there's an interesting phrase, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. These are the words of a man who didn't know whether he was headed for the gallows or headed back to his friends. But he was able to say that to die... It's gain, and it's better by far. Now, he got to that place in the bottom of a prison after two years' time. But what would it look like to live like that every day? To recognize, especially if you're a Christian today, to recognize that the worst thing that could happen is death, but that's really the best thing that could happen to you. 
And yes, there would be pain, and yes, there would be suffering, and yes, there would be loss, and we, and we grieve those, and we hold those in one hand, but in the other hand, we recognize the treasure that we have in Jesus Christ and the opportunity that we have to say, look, I can face my week ahead no matter what, knowing that people are praying that I have the Holy Spirit residing inside of me, and to live is Christ. That's an awesome privilege, and I hope you take full advantage of it, but to die is even better. And that doesn't give us some suicidal death wish this week it just puts it in perspective of what's going to happen to us all that one day we'll see that where we will be is better by far paul goes on in verse 25 to say convinced of this i know that i will remain and i will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again your boasting in christ jesus will abound on account of me paul kind of goes back and forth here it seems like he's vacillating he really just doesn't know He doesn't know whether he's going to die or whether he's going to live. He thinks, based on the leading of the Spirit, that he's going to be able to go back. In verse 25, it says he's going to go back so he can continue to strengthen the Philippian church. It might just be through this letter. It might be through an actual visit to them. He doesn't know. And so he says, at the end of the day, verse 25, I'm convinced of this, that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Verse 26, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ will be on account of me. Paul goes back to his number one aim, that no matter what happens, that Christ gets the credit. And then he closes this portion of, of the letter with his, one of my current favorite things to pray. In verse 27, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whatever happens. You want to know what to pray for tomorrow? Whatever happens... Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a good Monday. It's a bad Monday. It's a great day at work. It's a bad day at work. Conduct yourself. Paul didn't know. I might live. I might die. I might see you again. I might not. But regardless, whatever it is, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, what does that look like for you and I? I think there's a lot of things that we could say about that, but quite simply, It would be to live with integrity in every area and sphere of your life in a way that makes much of Jesus Christ and makes less of myself. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, whether the referendum passes or it doesn't pass, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of Jesus Christ. Whether Uh, Whoever wins the election in 2020, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whatever someone may say or do online, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of Jesus Christ. It turns out that the fruit of the Spirit is actually supposed to be employed everywhere. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. That works in real-life situations and also online. Paul says, look, I don't know what's going to happen to me. I might live, I might die. To die is actually gain, it's better. But whatever happens, and so here's, here's where I'm at. After watching people struggle for the past five months through a whole host of horrible things, I don't know what this week's gonna hold. I really hope it's easy. But if it's not, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of Jesus Christ. And I think if you'll do that, over time, if you're not there yet, if you can't say to, to die as gain yet, I think God's going to do something in your heart if you'll let him, where you'll start to see that he's better and he's worth every single ounce of your life this week to live for Christ. And if for some reason he calls you home, it's better. 
And if for some reason he leaves you here, continue to work out your faith with fear and trembling and continue to work out how God may want you to live for today and conduct yourself in a manner worthy of Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus Christ, all that I've been talking about today is unfortunately not available for you yet. It is available if you'll submit yourself to Jesus Christ and make him the king of your life. Ask him for the forgiveness of your sins and trust him as your savior. And if you've never done that today, I would encourage you to do that. I'd love to talk with you what that's about. Because as many passages as I can give you about heaven, there's another place called hell, and, I, and you need to know about that too. And if you have questions or concerns or, or want to talk more about that, I'd love to. But whatever happens this week, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the letter that we have from Paul to the Philippians and that even inside of, in spite of some circumstances that didn't go his way, being in prison and people falsely using the name of, the, of, of Christ to do stuff and, and death, their, their circumstances, we would want to avoid. But in the midst of those, God, he found joy. And so, God, I pray for every single person in this room. I don't know what they will face this week. I don't know what I will face this week. But, God, I do know that it's possible to find joy and contentment even in hard, difficult things. God, with our frail finite human minds. Help us to understand that we can hold in one hand a terrible hatred and, and deep grieving of, of death and all that that comes with it, but at the same time, we can look with hope to the fact that you're still in control and one day we'll all be with you. In the meantime, help us to live faithfully and consistently for you. God, we know that through your spirit and through your word, you'll help us do that. And so God, I pray that we'd be humble enough to look and learn, and to live in a way that pleases you this week. In Jesus' name, amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.